0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. Elaine, it was last Friday. What happened, Elaine? Hi, Joe. How are Hi. you doing today? Good. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Um, so last Friday, I was out in, I was shopping. Um, so it's a very well-known shop. Um, and I'm, I'm supposed to start the story off. I'm seven months pregnant. Oh, okay. And so I urgently needed to use the bathroom. So um, okay. especially when you're seven months, seven months pregnant, yeah. things, you know, get a... Uh, uh, there's not an awful lot of room and little limbs to be pressing on your bladder as well. Yeah, so the yeah. urgent need to go kind of comes on you very quick. So I, the particular establishments I was in at the time, they didn't have customer toilets. Um, and I kind of knew that there wasn't any nearby. So I asked if I could use the staff bathroom. Okay. Which what, the employee who I asked radioed her manager to ask permission. And they they denied they denied access to the toilet and said no way could I use it. Um, to which I was, I was really surprised because it's ne- that's never happened to me before, um, and especially with being very visibly pregnant, um, I was just told that I'd have to go across the road to use the facilities there, which is probably about three hundred meters away was the, was the nearest place to go. Um, so and did I, it, did I they say what well, I know it's the staff toilets? Did they say did, do they ever make exceptions for customers to use the staff toilets when there's no customer toilets? Well, I know for a fact in England it is illegal to deny a pregnant lady use of a of a toilet. Oh, is it okay? So, yeah, no, it is because I would look it up trying to oh, find God, out yeah. information on it. Um, but in Ireland. Like there, it, the, it's not law that you can deny someone. It's not. Um, so I was just wondering if anyone has ever experienced mm. something like that before. Because look at, I suppose um, it was just really an embarrassing situation, and having to run to use the bathroom a couple of hundred meters away wasn't easy either. And so, th- this is a big store. It is. It's a well-known store. So, yeah, so it would have, would have. A, would have a, a number of staff toilets, you reckon? Oh, 100%. Okay, yeah, there's, so, there's so many staff there. Okay. Did they say to you, yeah. no, we can't bring you through there because I need security access and I don't have security access through there. I can't bring you in there because there was a problem before and staff no. were upset? Or No, no, I was, wasn't given any explanation. Just told that um, I, uh, I wasn't allowed to use the bathroom. Um, it didn't matter that I was pregnant, but if I produced a letter to say I had a medical condition, they would consider it. What, what, I, what medical condition would they consider? I would presume it would be a kidney problem okay. or something like that. Um, but they didn't go into detail. So I suppose I kind of, I ran out myself because I wasn't able to argue with it anymore. But I did return to the store to speak with someone. Okay. And I was just, just dismissed I suppose when I came back and I was told to just write a letter complaint to head office and that was it then really. I just think it's a very unfair way to, to treat pregnant and did ladies. did they say this is, this is company policy or? She didn't at the time to be honest. No, she didn't go into that. She just said uh, if you're upset with Anthony and you don't agree with the decision just um, you can put mm. it in writing to head office. Okay, and you couldn't... Um I presume it doesn't have a coffee shop, so they're not obliged, or a restaurant, so they're not obliged to have toilets, public toilets. No, not in this particular place, Dan. It yeah. was just a shop in the shop alone, and it wasn't in a shopping okay. centre either. It, would it be fair to say, Elaine, that most of the staff are female? It would, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, they'd, they'd so. hardly object. No, well, the lady that I asked initially, she was embarrassed telling me that um, yeah. I couldn't use the bathrooms because I'm, I'm sure she, she understood where I was coming from. So it was a, it was a strange, a strange response I feel from a, a big store like that to yeah. treat, pay, okay, to treat well, the, we, the customers. Out. But you, you, you're adamant. You say in the UK it is for for someone who is pregnant, and in your case, as you use the phrase, visibly pregnant. To refuse them the use of a toilet on the premises, does that apply to everywhere? It is for a pregnant lady, ladies, yeah, if you're okay. going to... Because you know the way you see signs now, 
which are which I know there's reasons in some situations, but given that there's so few public toilets which are supposed to be provided by the the council, um, you see signs of uh, toilets are for customers' use only, and mm. and it's to, yeah. me, to me that's very short sighted because you could you could be a customer there in three days' time if you got a bit of goodwill when you were when you were stuck. But anyway. Um, but you say there's no there's no public there's no public toilets in the large premises, uh, but there is staff toilets. Obviously, they're obliged, and um, but and they didn't offer any explanation in terms of. I'm trying to think of one here. Uh, security, no, sure. or it's too far away, or it's on the fifth floor and the lift is broken. You'd never make it. Whatever, I don't know. So they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. No, they didn't. And how did? And did you find the other loo? And, and uh, anyway, that's not the point, is you? That's not the well, point. Well, I, I, I did. Was I there, was to, there, uh, by the way, well, was, there, was there any public toilets nearby? No, there wasn't either. So, yeah, um, like I had to go across the road. Um, but it was 300 metres, so I had to run across too. Okay. Which they very kindly pointed me straight in the direction because they could see by my face what I what needed to happen. So they were very helpful. But were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they, were they public toilets in the premises? No, no, no. It was a private. It was a private. Oh, um, they let you in. Great. Coffee great. restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it's just uh, pretty shocked by this particular company. Okay, well, we try and we try and find out because uh, I, uh, as I say, if, if you say it's um, there's an issue in the uh, UK. By the way, if you're if I presume if you're caught short, especially if you're as you say visibly pregnant, uh, uh, if you're out walking to the shops, I presume most people, if you knock on the hall door, would let you in. Absolutely, yeah, you know, this, common sense. Yeah. I think needs to come come to the fore on this one, really. Um, look, like I said, it's it, it never really happened to me before. And my first pregnancy was in the middle of COVID, so I wasn't really going to many yeah. places, anyways. But um, yeah, no, I was, I was pretty shocked. Uh, I was just really embarrassed by the whole situation then as well. Okay. Um, wasn't the nicest okay, well, in the world. Well, most importantly, now best of luck with the rest oh, of the pregnancy. PG yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it now. Okay, well done, well done. Okay, Elaine, thanks, thanks indeed. Um, back to the avalanche of calls about uh, endometriosis again affecting women only. And as someone uh, texted me yesterday, a politician said if this this issue uh, was af- affecting men, given the stories we've heard over the past week, it would be declared a national crisis. Um, uh, Ruth Ann Cunningham has contacted us. Ruth Ann, good afternoon. Well known singer, songwriter. Hi, Joe. How are you? Uh, and you're on the WhatsApp, you? you're on the WhatsApp line, which is great. Um, uh, Ruth, yeah. Ruth, tell us your story, and I appreciate you telling okay. us and how how endo affected you. So I'll try shorten it as much as I can. But basically, um, I was on the contraceptive pill from when I was 17 to 30. And when I came off the pill, that was when my problems with endometriosis really started, although it had been growing in my body, obviously. I ended up going, you know, in 24-hour day pain every day for most of the month for one and a half to two years. It took uh, two years. It took me to get my surgery and my official diagnosis. I collapsed in gyms. I, you know, was in so much pain. I couldn't walk. I had to cancel work. And I was in just 24 hour day pain and no doctor. Everyone was like, you're fine. Your bloods are fine. Your scans are fine. Nothing showed up on an ultrasound. Nothing showed up on Mm -hmm. an MRI. So people looking on me on the outside, I would be in even at RTE doing, you know, performances and I would be in absolute agony and pain. And no one had any idea because I would have my makeup on and I would, you know, Mm -hmm. be straight from a dressing gown in bed, cross out of the bed to go to do you know my work and it was just the most horrendous and it wasn't a way of living it it really affected my mental health it really affected my work and and it's just such a horrific disease that you know so many women are, are are battling chronic pain every day Chronic pain every day, like the worst pain, like I felt like I was being punched in the ovaries while barbed wire was ripping my insides apart, being stabbed in the back. I would sometimes scream with the pain and it was just absolutely horrendous. And were you were you ever in the situation with so many women have talked about that they weren't believed and the, but they, they uh-huh. were suggestions were made that the pain is in the head? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. I think people, when they see you look fine on the outside, they just assume you're being dramatic 
Or it's like, well, it's period pain, like get over it. It's just your period. Or, you know, it's that whole thing of just doctors. The other thing about endometriosis is it's really hard to diagnose. Yeah. So a lot of doctors want to want to search for everything else first. So I was kind of, oh, it could be that, but let's look for hip problems. Let's look for, you know, let's look for everything else but that. And a lot of the times when I would collapse, you know, at the gym or had to go to hospital, I was handed painkillers and sent home and said, look, everything's fine. You're fine. You know, here's some painkillers when really I was battling a horrific disease that then after a four-hour surgery, which I had to have in the UK with a private endometriosis specialist, you know, it was all over me. I had the worst kind stage four deep infiltrating endometriosis of the bowel, pelvis and bladder. And he said to me, if you'd left this any longer, you would have lost your bladder. Or Sorry, my bowel, not my bladder. So I, you know, and I had to go to the UK to get the treatment that I needed. And when Which a lot do, of women are doing. I know that. And, and, and further field, Dubai, we heard, America, we've heard. Um, and when were you diagnosed with stage four endo? I was diagnosed after my surgery. I was woken up for four, from a four and a half hour surgery after all my blood tests, ultrasounds and scans were clear to say you have stage four deep infiltrating endometriosis. And they had just worked on my, you know, done a surgery on me for four and a half hours. Um, and I cried with relief because for years I'd been told, you know, I was fine. You're fine. And you do think it's in your head. You do start saying, wait, yeah. am I over dramatizing this pain? Is this pain really as bad as it is? And then you get another, you know, stab to the back and you're like, no, nope, it's there. And you're so fatigued that you can't barely even see straight and you could rest for days and you don't feel like you've rested. It's like the worst hangover you've ever had every day. And it's just the haze of the fatigue that endometriosis brings because it affects you fully physically and and fully mentally. So it's just, it's a whole body disease. A lot of people think it's just this, this period thing. It's not. It affects your entire system. Um, and, and there's so many women battling it. And then they're going to Irish doctors who, who we don't have, to be honest with you, and I'm not offending anyone, we don't mm-hmm. have the endometriosis specialists in this, in this country. We don't have the endometriosis specialists who are performing the successful surgeries that women need. So women are having to get multiple surgeries and they're being offered this ablation laser surgery in Ireland, which is, is basically lasering over the top of the endometriosis, but not nearly getting to the root of it. So then they're having to get multiple surgeries and then they're ending up in the UK or America with an endometriosis specialist who says, okay, let's do the wide excision surgery, which actually gets the endometriosis from the root. And how would you describe ablation? You're saying they're, it's like mowing the grass rather than removing the grass when it needs to be yes. removed. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's lasering off the top of it because we don't yeah. have enough endometriosis specialists to do the wide excision surgery is a whole different type of specialistic surgery in endometriosis. A lot of American and UK doctors are actually fighting for the ablation surgery to be abolished because they're like, it does not help. If anything, it mm-hmm. can make things worse. And this is women's fertility on the line. This isn't, and their organs, people are losing their organs and people are, at threat, it's the threatening the, the, the future life and their prospect of fertility. And I had my my own journey with fertility then and I luckily I had one miscarriage and then I luckily now I'm here with my you know 10 month old little girl but for so many women they're in their 30s hearing these words for the first time how is that acceptable when we have an education system why are we not educating teenagers and 17 year olds when they're Mm -hmm. having a period about their menstrual health so that they can know the signs and the symptoms and know that really Joe the first sign of endometriosis is a painful period so all those years of thinking oh you get pain with your period you're actually not meant to if you're having to medicate yourself if you're uh, having to cancel school stay home from school stay home from work that is not normal that's not the way periods are meant to be so it's just really important and you know for anyone listening out there if you are experiencing symptoms like that you need to start on getting it investigated because this can take years the average um, uh, time for diagnosis is nine years. So oh it's, gosh. you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, say, say with us, Ruth Ann, because baby and Farrell, uh, baby and has, has been uh, trying to get on for nearly a week. I'm sorry for delaying you, baby. And um, you're, no just, you're just back from Romania. What did you get done in Romania, baby? Um, well, first of all, I want to say I waited three years for excision surgery. Um, as the last lady was saying, ablation Ruth and excision yeah. are very different. Um, sorry, Ruth Ann, I've just come onto the line now. Yeah, so I haven't about it, yeah. heard who's, who's on. Um, I was with one particular Irish hospital that I had gotten my doctor of 10 years to refer me to. I had to come to her and say, 
hey, you know, these 10 different things I'm being taken care of for, do you think it could be endometriosis? Mm-hmm. So I was referred. It took two years. I rang and said, hey, when's my laparoscopy? And they said, we actually don't have you down. We forgot. Um, wait another year. And I was speaking to a client of mine who had been through the journey and explained excision to me and said, you should go to this different hospital that does excision. It's the top of the line. It's the best hospital in the country. Um, I waited a year. I've Mm. never met the surgeon still. I had a laparoscopy. I was wheeled out of surgery. They do seven surgeries a day. So that shows already that they're only going in for about an hour. They're not going into all of your organs. They're only checking your uterus. And I came out of surgery and was told, you don't have endometriosis. I would not leave. I said, I want to speak to the surgeon before I leave. They said, he's too busy. So two juniors who are being trained by this particular, I say surgeon, he's a gynecologist performing excision surgeries. And we don't have an endospecialist, as you've been told over and over. Mm. Um, I had two juniors sit with me while I show them photos of my stomach profile and front and said, what's wrong with me then? Sobbing, yeah. what's wrong? Yeah. They're like, I'm really sorry, we don't know, but it's not endometriosis. If it's not in your uterus, it won't be anywhere else. They think it spreads out like spiders, yeah. like uh, tendrils, and it doesn't. Velcro, yeah, it was called. Yeah, yeah. and it, it just doesn't. It can be anywhere in your body. It can start off anywhere in your body. So not only do we not have the right surgeons or surgeons full stop, we have trainees, really compassionate, kind trainees who sat with me and held my hand while I sobbed, who do, are being t- taught falsehoods. So with all but best intentions... What, what did they tell you you had? Nothing. What? And then I went to Romania two months later. I had so much adenomyosis that I had a hysterectomy. But what did they say was causing this chronic pain you were in? We don't know. Take the marina coil and stick to the eight codeine a day you've been taking. That's we can't explain it. Tough look. It's probably IBS, like you were told when you were 20. I'm 41 now, Joe. I spent, I walked into a new doctor age 30 on one medication for anxiety. Mm-hmm. I have anxiety disorder, like many people do nowadays, but I was diagnosed quite young when it okay. wasn't known. So a lot of my symptoms over the years, I thought were anxiety related. I don't want to go out because I'm anxious as opposed to my stomach is doing somersaults. And I related those symptoms of anxiety to my bowel issues because a lot of anxiety disorder, when we look at panic attacks, I'm a qualified psychotherapist, when we look at panic attacks, a lot of the symptoms of panic attack are similar to IBS symptoms. So a diarrhea. Irritable bowel syndrome, yeah. Irritable bowel, yeah. So you're you're getting the sweats. It's like when you have food poisoning. Everyone's experienced probably, unfortunately, that rush. So you think that's a panic attack and you just stop going places. So for a long time, I never really looked into my diagnosis of IBS. I did all the things that plenty of women have spoken about. (laughs) I heard someone earlier mentioning turmeric. You know, you yeah. try every diet going, you think it's your fault. Oh God, I had chips the other day. That's why I'm in pain for three days. I'm a terrible person. It's all my fault. And God, talk about being gaslit. Fibromyalgia, was that mentioned? That seems to be mentioned. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome only after I begged and begged and begged for diagnosis. So I went into this doctor at 30 on one medication for anxiety disorder. Yeah. I left at 40 on 10 medications multiple diagnoses, multiple steroid injections, huge musculoskeletal issues, couldn't walk, was it with the pain clinic in Vincent's getting injections. I was using my own money for a chiropractor, osteopath, acupuncture, years and years and years of this. I asked that doctor, do you think this could be endometriosis? And her response is, huh, that makes sense. Um, It was through the... Um, crowdsourcing of information of women that you've had mm. on the show. It was Amy Brown. It was, you know, I have a friend of mine who was, we were housemates at one point. I was struggling with supposed IBS. She was struggling with supposed period pain. Neither of us knew. We both had endometriosis. She's now on her fourth surgery and she's still bleeding at home because this surgery was in Ireland. And you went to Romania and how did you get on? It was amazing, but I, I went alone. 
I had a friend yeah. join me after my surgery, yeah. but that was only because her husband had to use all of his last holiday days to mind their kids. I can't ask my friends to drop everything. Yeah. They have jobs. They have, you know, kids. They have careers. They have only set number of holiday days. I don't want to ask my friend, hey, can you use all the last year holidays to come and be my carer in this foreign country when you have all these other things in your life? I, you are so gaslit over so many years that to ask your friends for help to that degree, you don't feel you have permission to ask that level of help because you feel you are a burden for 20 years. You feel this is made up. I'm a complainer. I'm a moaner. I remember saying to a PE teacher when I was a teenager, I have a note that I don't have to do PE because I've got my period. And him saying to me, my wife's at a 12-hour shift right now on her period. Suck it up. Get out on that pitch. So the Irish psyche of just normalizing suck mm -hmm. it up for women is real. Hysteria is still taught in the highest colleges in Ireland in psychoanalysis. The concept of women suffering being put absolutely on the back burner and, well, my wife can handle it or your sister's got her period and she's grand, get on with it. I also want to make it very clear, I did not have severe period pain. Mm -hmm. That was never an issue for me. And the only reason I even came across endometriosis is a deep dive on YouTube and a woman talking about having pain at ovulation. Only when I started to track my periods, which was something I had never done before, and then seeing this video, did I realize that my hip would go. Like, I literally couldn't bend down. I have a dog and I couldn't bend down to get his mess and stuff like yeah. that. It was just really bad. And I finally was able to see, oh, it's when I'm ovulating. So... The idea that this is a menstrual issue isn't 100% true either. As Amy said, and many women have said, it's a full body disease. It doesn't necessarily present as cycle related. Okay. So for me, it was all bowel, musculoskeletal, inability to walk, neck, couldn't move my neck. The, the, the day I woke up um, after a five-hour surgery, including hysterectomy, including huge excision of endometriosis of almost every mm -hmm. um, organ underneath my pelvic bowl, so colon, rectum, bladder, bowel. I moved my neck to the side for the first day in about a decade. Just moved my neck to the side. I hadn't done that. I've lost my childbearing years. Yeah. I've lost my make money years. I've lost my buy a house years. I lost it all. So it's lovely to hear of women saying, you know, I had my baby, I've had my miracle baby, all the rest. I don't even think I want kids, but now I have this journey of trying to figure out, was that because I was so ill yeah. that the concept of parenting was just not realistic? It was like, whoa, that would be so hard and stressful and impossible. Or was it actually something, if I had been looked after by the medical system, I would have had a maternal instinct I would have wanted to have kids I, it would have been something that was actually possible imaginable but it was unimaginable and the only reason wow. I can support myself is because I'm self-employed yeah. I also would like stay. to lastly say sorry Joe no, I know I'm talking a lot no, stay with us yeah you're grand I took a month off work five weeks off work to have my laparoscopy in Ireland where I was told there was nothing there and they were only in my uterus nowhere else they didn't even look at the walls of my uterus where adenomyosis is, which is what the hysterectomy heals, by the way. It doesn't, hysterectomy doesn't heal endometriosis. It will continue to grow, but because mm. I'm over 40, it won't grow to the extent okay. where it will be ever as debilitating as it was. But I've also had to take another six weeks off for a second surgery. That's a third of my income this year. Yeah. I had to fundraise. I will hopefully be reimbursed for the surgery, but I had to fundraise for my flights, my accommodation, my time off work, just paying the rent. I pay for my friends to come and look after me, her flights, her, her yeah, accommodation. Course, yeah. And now I'm, I'm, I'm skipped and I only work part-time because the pain was so debilitating. The fatigue was unreal. I can see very few clients. I love my clients. I love my job, but I don't get to work the amount of hours I would like to work. And I've and had to also refuse new clients during this time because I said, I don't know when I'm back to work. Okay. So you're still recovering. You're still recovering from the surgery. Oh, I should be on um, epilepsy medication right now. I just didn't take it this morning okay. because I was going to be on to you. I'm on nerve pain. The epilepsy medication is for nerve pain. The nerves, the pudendal nerve, which goes from front to back of your pelvic bowl, 
has been severed and resectioned in multiple areas. I'm going to be healing for about three to six months. Okay. I've left the house five times in the last four weeks. And do you think the surgery, are you optimistic about it making a difference? I can feel it. Okay. I can see it. Okay. And I'd just like to say as well, okay. the surgeon saw the photograph of my stomach and said to me over the phone before I even met him, before I even went over, that looks like adenomyosis. Okay. I had an MRI scan over there. There, There is an endometriosis specialist in Romania who can see on the MRI where your endo is. I burst into tears going in to get the results. I went in to get the MRI, fine, I'm grand. I took a Xanax, I'm in Romania, what the hell's going on? But just before I went into her office to actually get the results, because of 20 years of medical trauma and gaslighting, I just burst into tears and said, there's nothing there, is there? There's nothing there. I've come all this way for nothing. And she sat me down and said, babe, and you're riddled. <laughs> like, nice. relax, we've got you. Okay. We can see it, it's definitely there. Okay, we stay, don't have that option here for MRI scans. Okay, stay, stay with us. Let's, let's, Laura, Ruth, is, Ruth Anna Cunningham is going to stay with us, hopefully, as well, uh, okay, for the next yeah. few minutes. And um, just, we've got lots of voice messages because so many people are trying to get in touch with us. And as you discover, baby, and we can't get to everyone every day, unfortunately. This is Aoife Matson. Hi, my name is Aoife, and I'm 35 years of age and was diagnosed with endometriosis at the age of 28. I started experiencing painful periods from the age of 12. Every month I would have to take at least a day or two off of school to sit on my cold tiles of my bathroom floor with a hot water bottle on my tummy in between vomiting. I couldn't lie down, stand or walk and even sitting was uncomfortable without the heat and pressure from numerous hot water bottles. At a time where I should have been full of energy, I find myself having to miss camogie matches, miss out on days out with my friends, was I was just experiencing horrendous pain. Mentally, it was very hard to have doctors constantly say there is nothing wrong. I now know that my endometriosis is in something called the pouch of Douglas between my uterus and my rectum, hence why doctors couldn't see it in ultrasounds. So it was only discovered after an amazing female doctor recognized the cyclical occurrence of pain and insisted on having a laparoscopy. I also had endometrial tissue on my ovary, and so my ovary was removed after my third child. However, I still have pain every month, and mainly at the time of ovulation. One important thing to share is for any woman who does not suffer from endometriosis, but who has gone through childbirth, the pain is akin to labor pain. I thankfully have an amazing family and an amazing employer, but I previously worked for a female manager who questioned my going to the bathroom in front of my colleagues. I've not experienced another woman like this, and I hope other women never will. My advice to younger women with pain is to insist on a laparoscopy. I did keep a food diary, and I believe due to the location of my endometriosis, cutting out things like red meat and other foods has helped, but this may affect women very differently. The only option for treatment, and this is the really frustrating part, is strong anti-inflammatories, which I've been advised not to take anymore due to developing a hiatus hernia, which they actually believe is linked to taking strong anti-inflammatories, uh, going on a pill long-term, which I'm also not comfortable with, or having a hysterectomy. So to all of the doctors who recommend a hysterectomy to young women, and especially to male doctors, Please remember this is the equivalent of castration in a man. You know, no woman wants to go through that. I'm a fit and healthy 35 year old woman and this to me is just not a good enough option. I really do wish more research was done to support women with endometriosis so that my daughters don't have to go through this. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. women contacting us about endometriosis. Lauren, good afternoon, Lauren. I'll come back to Ruth and Baby in a sec. Lauren. Hi, hi. And I see that IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, which Baby and kept being uh, diagnosed with, that, that was offered to you as well as a, a, a diagnosis when you were 16 and in terrible pain. Yeah, definitely. When I was 16, um, I paid myself to see a gynecologist. I went private. Okay. Um, and that's what she basically offered at the end of it after doing a scan um, an examination. She said I was way too young to have endo. Yeah. And she just told me it was IBS. 
And what's, what did they give you any treatment for if they thought it was IBS? Um, no, basically she just gave me, you know, the sachets of Movacol to yeah, yeah. Get, get rid of my constipation and oh sent me God. off and that was it. And when were you eventually diagnosed? What, after 10 years? Yeah, so it took 10 years. So I remember even being as young as 12 and I think it was like one of my first few periods I was sent into Temple Street Hot Children's Hospital okay. with the excruciating pain I was in and I was in for a few days and they sent me off with, you just have mid-ovulation pain and I actually got put on the pill at that young age. Did that make a difference? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and now, 10 years later, I'm actually only three weeks post-operation. Mm. Um, so I'm still recovering. And you were diagnosed? Yeah, with... I was diagnosed with stage 3 endometriosis. Um, and the same as all the other women, a few of my organs were actually stuck together as well. Yeah, yeah. So it took three hours in surgery to remove it all. And where did that surgery, don't, don't, it took place in Ireland? Yeah, in Ireland. Okay, um, so it is. I a, just, and has it made a difference so far? Can you? Um, well, as, as soon as I woke up, I did feel okay. a huge difference. But it does, it can take up to six months for your insides to heal properly. So it's a long road and I'm kind of only starting it now. And I already know I'm saving up for my next surgery. Are you? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm 22 and that's what I have to do. And you hear baby in there so eloquently all the missed opportunities, my childbearing years, my my money making years, my house buying years, all destroyed by endo. And now she's after eventually in her early 40s, got surgery in Romania and she can feel the difference already. Ruth Ann Cunningham, as a songwriter, and I know you've written for Neil, with Neil Horan and, and uh, Britney Spears and various other people, and you're, you're writing Thai Show, the, mu- the music for Thai Show, the musical. Um, yeah. How did it affect your performing life, Ruth Ann? Oh, God. It, it, I mean, I missed so many opportunities the years where I was suffering in pain. I remember vividly one day being in LA, meant to be writing with John Legend, and oh I couldn't, couldn't get up off the floor um, to do the session and I had to cancel it so oh, it was wow. just really disappointing um, to have to cancel you know with such a big star like that because and of what my was, what was the plan? What was the plan with John Legend? I, I, I write with John a lot yeah. I've written okay, I've written wow. on, on albums with him but it was for his newest it was for his newest album at the time wow. and I lost that opportunity and, and you know I, I, I remember a session I was working with Niall Horan we wrote Nice to Meet You and we were jumping around and he mm-hmm. had no idea because I, I wasn't going to tell him. But he said to me, well, we'll finish early today. And I was so delighted because I felt like passing out the entire session. I was trying to put on a brave face, smile, write the song. And then, you know, I, I pulled through that day. But then there was other days that I missed massive opportunities. And after I had the wide excision surgery in the UK, I got my quality of life back and I've never suffered as badly as I was before. So I would Mm. definitely recommend for anyone out there, if you're going to get a surgery, please look into getting the wide excision surgery because that's the one that has the most success rate um, out there. And and you say you were were working with John Legend. Did you you explain to the producers or whatever that day listen why you didn't no. why you couldn't no. no no because you know I had told my own management team about the pains I was having I, I was telling people around me and everyone is like oh you know but the more you say it the more you sound like I don't know how many times can you yeah. say to someone I'm I, I'm having horrific pains and um, it just didn't really land for people and not that people aren't nice about it but it's very hard to understand what it's like unless you're living it every day and um, it's really hard to understand chronic pain I don't think anyone it's I would say you know like when you get a toothache and it's like the worst pain you've ever had multiply that by a thousand that's what endometriosis women are are suffering with that's the type of pain it's 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 you can't focus on anything else it's you you literally you're consumed by the pain and the fatigue it's all consuming it's full body disease and so it, it it takes away your social life it takes away your work life you're having to cancel on people and you become one of them really flaky people because you're you're having you can't get out of bed you can't go and it really I would say to people it, it destroys your quality of life 
and listening to the other women on the phone. I mean, it, my, I'm crying. I'm in tears and I've been through it. Like, I just find this so horrific that we live in a country like Ireland and we have no specialist care and we have women having to go to Romania and the UK. You know, it's absolutely horrific. We need to sort this now, Joe. This is this is an epidemic in Ireland. Ruth Ann, listen, listen, as you all have been to to each other and baby and, and Lauren, um, listen to uh, this message from Annette uh, Stouffer. It is again, um, every every story sounds the same, but every story is different. Everyone's pain and experience is real. And uh, as we keep saying, they these women are reliable witnesses to their own suffering. Hi Joe, I was diagnosed with endo at the age of 20. From the age of 14 I suffered extreme pain like many of the other women on here, as well as flooding. Doctors told me I was just being dramatic. Thankfully I had my mother to back me up, otherwise I would have just accepted what the doctor told me. My mum fought for six years for my doctor to refer me to a specialist, and finally after a lot of eye rolling she did. I had the laparoscopy and the specialist said that I was one of the worst cases he had ever seen. And that was it. I was dismissed. There was nothing they could do, so maybe I should check back in a few years in case things had changed. I asked for a hysterectomy and was told outright no in case I met someone in the future and he wanted to have children. Not if I wanted to have children, if he wanted children. So I went on to suffer for another 15 years. My longest bleed was 32 days, which the doctor was said was fine for someone with endo. In these years, I tried again to see if there was any treatment. I went to a gynecologist and she already had the coil ready for me. When I said I wasn't comfortable getting the coil and would like something more permanent, I was told there wasn't anything more permanent to leave and stop wasting her time. I had to bring towels with me everywhere because of the heavy bleeding. In my 30s, I was told having a baby would help fix it. So I went to a fertility clinic where I learned that my uterus was so damaged from the endo that I could never carry a baby to term. So when I asked them for a hysterectomy, they said no, I was too young. Last year at 39, a new doctor referred me for an endometrial ablation. First I tried to go public, but it was the same guy that tried to push the coil on me before. She was still pushing the coil. I ended up going private and had the ablation. The ablation destroys all the lining of the uterus so that it cannot tick in each month and cause a period. It should last five years, after which I'll be eligible for a hysterectomy. After, after the surgery, I bled for a solid four months as everything inside was cleared out. The bleeding stopped in December 2021 and I've only had minimal spotting since. I have gone from wearing three to four sanitary towels, a pair of underwear and men's boxers for 10 plus days a month to a panty liner for one day every three plus months. I still get cramps that are agony, but they are not a regular thing anymore. Ruth Ann, 32 days continuous bleeding. It's absolutely, I mean, I, like I'm just in tears. It's, it's just really, just, it's really upsetting. It's not fair. Um, it's not fair on women. Um, and it's not fair that we have to fight this hard to be heard and to be yeah. believed and to be diagnosed. Um, what what do, what do we have to do and how much more pain do the women of Ireland have to go through to get funding, research, better, like specialists in Ireland, like listen to the amount of women that are saying it. the doctors are clueless a lot of the time. A lot of the time I have people coming to my Instagram page because I put up a photo of a body painting mm -hmm. to, um, visualizing endometriosis and I'm getting women coming to me for what they should do with their endometriosis. And I'm not even a medical professional, but I'm an expert in endometriosis now because I have to be because doctors are not. And luckily for me, I found a specialist in the UK who is an amazing specialist who helped me so much. And there is another UK specialist who's talking about opening a clinic in Ireland because he has so many Irish women flying over to him. I mean, what, why does it take that? And these are women who who manage somehow or other to get the money together. As you say, this to, is women uh, who are, yeah, this is women who are trying to, you know, look after their babies, trying yeah, to have yeah. babies, you know, going through miscarriage after miscarriage, not knowing why, you know, it be, it, I talked to a 22 year old girl the other day who's going through her, you know, her college years in absolute agony and pain, can't go out, can't go, can't live. It, it is, it's, it's beyond time that we have this taken care of. The Minister of Health, the Minister of Education, like this is this is this is what they need to fix. This is a huge problem and it's not going to go away. It's only getting worse. Kathleen King. Kathleen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. 
Again, from age 12, chronic pain. You there, Kathleen? Okay, Maureen. Maureen's in Westmead. I'll go back to Kathleen and say, Maureen. Yeah, Joe. Hi. Uh, how are you? You're listening as well. To, yeah. Please yeah. tell us your story, please, Maureen. Well, mine was in 1990 when I had a hysterectomy on the 5th of March. And um, I just thought to give me a pill to stop it, you know. It's not a pill, but a pill. I just understand there's no information for people, you know. And I worked you know, a lot of women and things like that. One day in the bathroom, this girl said to me, would you not be afraid you had leukaemia? Oh, and couldn't believe it. But um, listen to that other girl that rang. I remember I was going to a retirement party the end of March 1989 and the bleeding, I had to leave the thing and go down and get a towel. And on the 12th of March, I was going to America and I had been seen, seen the guy in college that gave me tablets to stop the bleeding. I can't remember. I knew they began with a D. So that was okay. So on the 26th of March, to the 26th of January until the 12th of March, I bled that year. My father had di- died the previous year in August '88, and it was head cancer. It was it was hard because he was sick for a long time, and I had no car, and I was coming lifts, getting up lorries and things like that. But thankfully, you know, I had the lifts from the people that okay. carried me. But um, when when he died, then I felt like going on a holiday, so I got a, a call from the doctor surgery to say. The doctor wants to see you. It was a lady doctor in, and I said, um, "Yeah." And said, "I said to, I'm going to Spain." And said, "You're not going anywhere." So I had to get a course of in, injection, uh, iron mm-hmm. injection. So uh, roll on then to 1990 when um, I got very bad, and a neighbour brought me into the hospital, and um, a nurse came to see you to a doctor. It was a doctor came, and I was there in in, in the bed, and she said to me. Um, yeah, it's okay. No, she didn't pull the curtain. I said, oh, no, not an examination again. Yeah. So I got, she said, you can get dressed and go home. And I was a female doctor. You can get dressed and go home. And when I was getting dressed, the nurse came in and said to me, uh, what are you doing? And I said, um, getting dressed to, to go home. Oh. The doctor said, you know, you do what the doctor told yeah. you. And she said, you're not going anywhere. Your blood has gone down. Your bloods are gone down to the lab. Yeah. I think it was a Thursday or Friday when I was brought in. And then I had to have two blood transfusions before I had the hysterectomy. And the consultant said to me, oh, look who we have here, because I had been to five gynecologists, you know, because I didn't believe any of them. And then, so, like, you just wanted to have it finished at that stage. And the gynecologist said to me, um, well, you know what it's about? And I said, you know, you know, you'd be very nervous, especially in 1990. Yeah, yeah. So I was 35, just kind of, my birthday was in January and then it was 35 in March. And um, he said, go in, go into the, the private wars with me, go into the women there and talk to them because, um, you know, go and see how they feel about it. But they all had children, you know, family people. I hadn't, I had no sisters or anything. So that was it. And then I was in hospital for about three weeks afterwards. And you say in your your contact and then was, uh, and then roll well, on to nineteen ninety seven I had a back operation so they are all connected you know yeah. the womb and and all that crap so um you know at least you're kind of a weakness in in you whatever way to disturb your organs or whatever but another member um, a cousin of mine had it and um you know she was talking about it like she was able to handle it very well it, it going through your eyes and and you know going. Mm-hmm. Her gynecologist said it could could travel to your eyes. Imagine that. Awful. You say in your contact, it ruins your life. It ruins your life, you know. (laughs) People say, how come you never got married? (laughs) You know? So you didn't, you know, you you just just got out of it. But, like, listen to that woman talking about, you know, her life. And, like, I was in a good job. I got paid when I was out sick. And in the May that year, I, I had bought my home, you know, so... Like, I thank God for all, all those kind of things that happened to me, you know. But it's, and I often wonder my nieces and nephews, but I don't like to ask them, you know, their business, mm. how, how they're getting on. Yeah. And but I had no one to compare notes with. And my mother had her hysterectomy when she was 70. And she's always said to me, Maureen, that hysterectomy now is played out, you know. But, uh, and she had, you know, hers by vacuum because it was prolapse, but mine was different. And then there was, terrible, you know. 
And then meeting people, you know, and you, you, I, I think my mother didn't say that, you know, she didn't want anyone to know that I had one. Now, my mother was very outgoing and things like that, but yeah. she didn't want anyone. So that's it now, Joe. So I feel okay. sorry that there's nothing well, done at this stage because I just keep, I just bit up magazines and cutting out things. And I remember seeing something about John Hopkins Hospital in, yeah. in London. But anyway, I never got to that. I had the hysterectomy in 1990. And that was 32 years ago. And, and it was, they, they, I never even knew what endometriosis was. I, I, I never knew it was a word until I saw it on the cert. You know, she won't be able to work because she has endometriosis. And my doctor was a, a single man. And he was the kindest, yeah. really caring person. And he was really, really good to me. You know, he used to have to examine my stomach. was so swollen and that. And uh, I never forget his kindness to me. You know, he was really, really, really kind. Maureen, stay, well, stay, with, stay with you. Yeah, please listen. Uh, as, as yeah, I'm listening pe- to them. I'm I know, honestly, and other, other, other I people. I just can't believe that I women know, in the 30s are, are, are yeah. suffering this now at this stage, you know? Yeah, and people are listening to your testimony as well. It's, it's harrowing. Yeah, and I'm a different generation. Yeah, and, people, and Marie, you know? Maria Goucher, who's on the other line, I think you, you would describe yourself as a different generation as well, Maria. Yes, that is so true. And tell us your experience, please. Well, I suppose, Joe, when I was a young girl, uh, one had never heard about endometriosis. And I suppose one assumed that uh, most young girls had heavy periods like I had. And um, I would say one looked at the month ahead, one had maybe three normal weeks. But the fourth week, you really couldn't do anything. Yeah. If you had to go to school, you, you know, you had to try yeah. to make it to school and to cope with the pain and to cope with the heavy bleeding. And not only that, but one was so exhausted, so utterly exhausted. Now, the, the other thing in those years, we never spoke about it. Mm. You didn't speak about it. You just put it behind you. And, um, and so it was. And I got married and I had my children and... That was it, and it continued. I suppose being older, one was a little bit better equipped. But again, the main thing, you had three, or you hoped you'd have three normal weeks, and then there was one week um, just trying to survive and go through the routine of every day uh, was very difficult. But on, on the other hand, I think in the past, women were... I don't know if they were more stoic or if we were more resigned. But you accepted that's how it was. And then I met a wonderful gynecologist um, who did not um, see that I had to be resigned. He was out to do the very best he could for me. The other thing, I would get things like chocolate cysts quite a lot, which are cysts in the ovary Mm -hmm. and so forth. And um, he was a tremendous, he was a tremendous support to me. And then it became, I suppose, women began to talk more about their menstrual cycle and about their menstrual health. And it began to be addressed in public. And support began to come in a trickle, but then it became more consistent. And here we are today. I am talking, um, I am talking to you. And now I have another illness as well, which I won't go into here. But I suppose my personal journey was I had to cope with this, but I didn't want it to define me. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither did I want to see illness as my identity. So uh, one dealt with it, but one's focus really was on the whole person, was on my family, on my friends, on life in general, and so on. And Maria, um, so what one age? didn't want that okay. coming in and robbing one of yeah. everything else. You know, you know yeah. that yeah. it wouldn't be um, the dominant factor. I don't think illness should be, whatever it is, if one can possibly manage manage that. And, and so, um, and one what? ages and one yeah. gets older, okay. and ill health may. Sort of elbow one a little yeah. bit more, you, you know, you, you know, and but one is somehow focusing really um, 
on the better things in life, if you like. One has family members who aren't well. One has family members who need support yeah. and friends and so on. And there's good and bad in every journey. You know, testing times, better times, good days, not not so good days and so on. So I, I certainly didn't want this to take over, to, to take me over, you know. So I had no other identity, but as it were, suffering and ill health. I did resent that, but it was costly too. And if one did meet helpful doctors, oh, it was really, the support uh, was wonderful. So... If I can just go over the time, what yeah. age, the timeline, what age were you when you when you first uh, got the pain, this awful pain? I, I think it would have been, I, I don't know if it began with the very first period. Yeah. I don't remember the, really the very first one. I don't know, for example, did it gradually come on the first six months? That I can't be can't be categoric about okay. that. But it would have been from the very beginning, Joe. So you were a teenager, 12, 13? Yeah, well, I would have been 12 oh, and a God. half going on 13. Oh, okay. And then what... And, and, and a school. Okay, at school. And then what age were you when you were diagnosed with endometriosis? I wasn't... I, I went to study in the UK. Yeah. And there, um, speaking to new friends I had made, they had said to me, you really ought to go to see the GP and see if you can get help. Because as I said, for a week, a month, I was really, most of the time I would have to stay in bed with the pain, go to lectures, you know, come home, then go to bed again. And they, so so, uh, the the GP was a man, but he was very, very helpful. And he advised with some uh, medication and so on. And he was very encouraging, which was the first time I suppose I'd really spoken to anyone mm. outside of my family about it. And Joe, I managed it myself after that because I thought, well, the box stops with me. This is normal. I mean, remember, there was this thing, well, this is normal. This is normal. It's normal for women um, to go through this month after month. I just have heavier periods, more yeah. painful periods yeah. than other people. But basically, I had to manage it. And that was my my response. But when you were diagnosed with endometriosis, which oh, was... Oh, that was much later then. Yeah. Uh, we, I had moved back to Ireland and I'd gone to see, um, at that point, I'd gone to see a gynecologist. And mm. I, I was brought into hospital and uh, I, was, I was diagnosed. And nothing changed, Joe. Okay, nothing changed. No... I would have various what's called chocolate cysts yeah. removed, you know. Uh, but and how how are you now, Maria? I've just come out of hospital, Joe, um, because I've had a hysterectomy, and um, I, I I've come to realise now that the 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 illness, if you like, has continued. Now I'm not terribly. What can I say to you? Um, I'm not terribly well informed to be able to give you. Um, clear information about it. And I think one is I'm feeling rather crushed. And number two, um, it does wear you down. And in the end, you are trying to... You're trying to deny it. Well, Mm. uh, that's what I try to do. You're trying to deny it and you're trying to to focus on... You're trying to focus on your life despite this other situation. Now, they, they, they told me in hospital, I'm going to have to see a bowel person because right. uh, my bowel is in such a state yeah. from the, the effects of men and the metriosis. Yeah. So that in one sense, at a later stage, my journey for health is only beginning now. And are you apprehensive about having... Like when when did they say to you, well, we're, okay, we're going to have a, we're going to perform a hysterectomy? I beg your pardon, Joe. Can you no, repeat that? When I, I I'm saying, are you are you worried about the prospect of more operations? Because you've been you've been living you, you got it. the pain began when you were twelve, twelve and a half. So, can I ask brutally, how long have you been living with this pain, Maria? As it were, it seems all my life that one has, obviously not before 12, but, but, but looking back. But on the other hand, 
I used to say to myself, well, I'll have a reprieve. I'll have some reprieve after, you know, my menstrual cycle. And then when I thought, I I think I must have been one of a few, a very, very few who looked forward to the menopause because I thought the menopause would Mm. certainly change things, you you know, that it, it, it won't be quite so difficult. And up to a point, that was true. Up to a point, that was true. But what I didn't realize, because remember, this was before we had computers and access to information that uh, we didn't. And I, I think I deliberately didn't want to find out more about okay. it. I mean, where I was, and I think even now, uh, even today, you're trying to forget about it. You want to forget about it. You're trying to bring a bit of normalcy into your life. And if you haven't got pain, you are really so relieved that you haven't got pain. But I've only discovered now I'm not finished. I have to go back to see what can be done uh, to to deal with the... But from what you're saying, what you're saying to me, Marie, I'm putting, trying to put it together between the menopause and your point about computers and I think you mentioned the six. You've been enduring this pain for over five decades. Yes. But it becomes your way of life. And the thing is, Joe, you are so relieved when you're not in pain or the pain is eased. You are so relieved. You will remember in the past we used to say, be thankful for small mercies. mercies, Be thankful for those. And one really embraces that. One embraces that, to be thankful for these moments that you're not in pain and that you can manage. Stay with, stay with us, Maria. Joe at rte.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Uh, Maria Goucher is still with us. Uh, Kathleen King. Kathleen, good afternoon. You've been, like Maria, you've been living with, you said, chronic pain since you were 12. Kathleen. Kathleen. Okay, we have a problem with Kathleen's line again. Claire Bo- Claire Bowler. Claire, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. How are you? Um, good. How are you, more important? <laughs> um, I'm okay, Joe. Thanks. You said you um, Go ahead. Yeah, no, my story started in 2011. Um, I actually had a procedure done, and I was supposed to have all the endometriosis removed and was told that I was absolutely fine. And... I remember sitting in my friend's house who was actually um, a doctor mm-hmm. and he casually mentioned it to me because I said I wasn't feeling great after the surgery. It was a couple of months afterwards. And he said, oh, well, he says that's it's probably because of the endometriosis. And I was just like, what? Yeah. what? What's that about? Like, what is it? You know, and I never knew anything about it. And, and um, it, apparently when I went back to my my doctor, he actually confirmed that. He said, yeah, it was it was endometriosis that you have. And it kind of went on from there. It's been, it's been years now, the last 11 years with it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting by. But um, to be honest with you, it is. It's extremely frustrating. It's you say very it's, difficult. T- it's taken a toll, as so many people have said, on my mental health. Yeah, 100%, Joe, you know, but as your last caller mentioned, you know, you learn to live with it. You do. And have you been diagnosed, apart from this doctor friend saying, I yeah, think Yeah, no, is. I was diagnosed, Joe. So I remember when I was coming around from the surgery, the doctor was talking to me about all kinds of different things that they were had been doing, but I was kind of coming out of my anesthesia at the time, so I wasn't really able to take on the information. And I've been back and forth to different gynees over the years. And, yeah, it was, it, it was always confirmed that, you know, they're treating endometriosis, that I have it. And um, always different kinds of information was always said, oh, well, you know, you could get the coil. And then, then you'd be told, no, you have to get your ovaries removed. And then you'd be told, no, something else and something else. Um, and one caller actually suggested something really, really interesting, which was MRI scanning for endometriosis. Yeah. 100% agree. Like, there has to be something else available for, for, for patients instead of just all the time going down the surgery route. Um, because, I mean, you can get rid of it, but it, it just always seems to be coming back. And there just doesn't seem to be any research really done in Ireland around it. And, and you know, as for doctors even, you know, there needs to be 
you know, medical advice and information available there to doctors to be able to say to their parents, look, patients, sorry, look, this is the information I have. This mm-hmm. is what the condition is about. This is what to expect. And these are the different avenues you can choose. And give patients the choice. Like, if a patient wants to have a hysterectomy, surely, like, I was, I was told, because I had asked if that was still possible for me when I hit my early 30s. Mm-hmm. And I was told, no way, no. And I was told, you know, maybe if you have a baby, you know, maybe it'll help. Um, but, like, that shouldn't just be the answer. You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be like, oh, go have a child. You know, it might help you, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it is really difficult. It's like, you know, as your other callers were saying, trying to work. Like, I work full-time, but it's it's hard. It is really, really hard. There's and days when you just can't do anything, you know. And where where are you now on that journey, Claire? Um, I feel like I'm at the start. <laughs> every time I... Every time I'm in the hospital, it just feels like the start all over again because you're given different information, you're going through different procedures, you're going through like different tablets, different different things. Like nobody really has the answer. This is what you do. Try this. You know, it's always seems to be experimental and just really the unknown. Like we'll try this and we'll try that. At the moment, um, I was in the hospital during the summer. And it was pain management, physio, we'll see you in January. There is a lump on my left side. It is coming back. I know that, but it's trying to manage it. I have endometriosis on the back of my uterus. I also have issues with sciatica and severe back pain, which is constant. I have rectal bleeding during my cycle as well. Um, I was told that that was... um, piles and then it would go away it never goes away have had all kinds of different procedures for things but there never it never seems to go away it just keeps coming back coming back in different places different different symptoms different problems and it's just every time you go in it's just oh well we, we we got the endometriosis this time and it's like but you know six months a year later it's just going to come back okay. and it just gets back gets worse Okay, say, say what is clear. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Kathleen, uh, from the age of 12, chronic pain. Hi, Joe. Yes, that's me. I've been living with endometriosis um, and adenomyosis pain for a long number of years now. I'm now 46. So as you can imagine, I'm well accustomed to all of the stories that we've heard in the last number of days. And as I've been an advocate for the last 20 odd years, um, I bear the scars not only of my own um, pain, but also Mm. of all the women who I've spoke with over the years as well. And just listening to the women over the last week, it is every call is like a punch to the solar plexus. Um, It is. is. Um, Eight surgeries. Eight surgeries. Uh, yeah, I am a product of the time, unfortunately. Um, my initial surgeries in Ireland, they were unable to do anything surgically to remove the disease. and um, They were diagnostic. Subsequent ones in the UK, we used ablation, which at the time would have been appropriate. This is where you burn the top off the disease. Yeah. And my last surgery there, which was almost five years ago in Atlanta, um, removed all of my endometriosis um, and reduced my pain by 95%, which okay. is a huge achievement. And of the surgeries, like, is there any, you know, we hear cross-border directives and we hear people going for cataract operations from, we've covered it here, from Kerry to Belfast or Waterford to Belfast. Does, does that, does that uh, ever come into the equation when people are trying to sort out this awful, awful disease, Kathleen, that we... Does it ever suggested go to? We can organise for you to travel to the UK, and it'll be paid by the by the state, rightly so. Unfortunately, it's never totally paid for by the state. I've had women had to beg and borrow and set up GoFundMe's to actually get their surgical um, and travel expenses covered. The cross-border directive is very beneficial for many conditions, and I live so close to the borders, I see this okay. quite a lot. Um, and unfortunately, endometriosis. 
uh, like a lot of women's health, is not coded very well in terms of reimbursement. So through the cross-border directive, if you've had a hip replacement, mm-hmm. you won't be out any money. You'll come back. Okay. Your you know, refunds will help that. But with endometriosis, you're given a very small amount of money. Now, endometriosis surgery for insurance and for coding purposes is often put down as something that's very basic. A 15-minute procedure requires one doctor. But as you'll have heard in the last couple yeah, of days, yeah. we have women who've had surgeries four, five, six, hours, seven, yeah. eight hours long, multiple specialties. So there's no finesse, there's no subtlety there to be able to say, yeah, if you're going to be in surgery for six or seven hours with multiple surgeons, that you're going to be reimbursed. Like, we have had women remortgage the house. We've had women, you know, borrow from friends and family. That's the reality of this thing. And again, in typical Irish fashion, we're exporting our problems. We need to stop doing that with women's health. Now, you've heard in the last number of days, the anger, the passion, the frustration, mm-hmm. but also the exhaustion. Yeah. We are exhausted from fighting, not just fighting the pain and the, the chronic debilitating symptoms of endometriosis, but we're fighting with everybody to get listened to, to be believed. Um, I've still seeing young women being sent to community mental health as opposed to gynecology. You know, the, the fight goes on, but we do need at this stage for people to start listening. I think that starts, the government needs to start looking at where they've yeah. pledged the money, and it's very welcome. But we need to make sure that what is done is actually what women want and need. We need to start with education, education of the general public, education of, of young people in schools, education of our healthcare professionals, explaining to them that endometriosis pain is not in the head. We then need to look then as well to at regional centres and centres of excellence yeah. that can provide multidisciplinary care. Now, like we know, Joe, from the UK and from Ireland, and I'll take cardiology as a specialty, we can't have a top-level cardiologist in every hospital in Ireland. That wouldn't be practical. So we do need to have a situation where we have gynecologists who are in each hospital who are able to recognise endometriosis, make a positive diagnosis, and treat up to a certain level. But complex cases and cases that require multidisciplinary support should be in specialist regional centres or a specialist centre on its own. Okay, Joe, stay with us, please. Joe, what are you, Daddy? Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Ruth Ann Cunningham, I'm way over time, but again, thank you for starting the conversation today. Um, it is uh, tragically an education for so many people, but it's the lived experience of so many women. Ruth there. Okay, Ruth. Okay, she dropped that. Okay. Um, I, I'm looking at the list again. Apologies of people trying to uh, come on. I'll give out the number of the WhatsApp voice message if that would help. 087-1843-709. If you're used to sending uh, WhatsApp messages, um, if you can, if you wish to do it that way, we that would help us get more uh, experiences in. Awful experiences. Uh, I'm thinking of Maria. Uh, who told us inter alia that she's been um, suffering for six decades nearly. Okay, Shane Galvin's on sound, Lee Mullen. Uh, Shane Galvin's a BCO, Lee Mullen's on sound, and Brenda Dunhu produce, and Ray Darcy's next. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.